Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Are Chinese government bonds attractive in a zero-yield world? It's going to be part of our discussion today. Asian stocks are mixed this morning following an overnight rally on Wall Street for a deeper dive into the markets. I've invited Jacob Du, Chief Investment Officer at Envision Wealth Management, to join us. Good morning, Jacob. So what is on Asian and global investors' radars for this week as you see it? Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me again today. Well, with the way that I look at it is that uh, given the way the stock market has been behaving itself, the, the fact is that uh, you all the speculative move has more or less been um, you know contained. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that uh, within the option market itself, that also has been contained as well. The fiasco that we faced a couple of months back now has really dwindled down. So what you're seeing right now is that the market may be a short-term rally. I mean, not, not even a rally, but a short-term up move. But the, the fact is that the majority of the fund managers based in U.S. is going to have a rebalancing exercise coming due tomorrow. So that is a good indicator of what's going to happen over the next couple of months. Do you think with the option markets, uh, the election risk is uh, being pushed to December, really? They're tempering bets that volatility is going to spike immediately after the U.S. election. Well, I would definitely think that volatility is going to increase for a while, um, primarily because of the fact that one, no one knows for sure at this point in time Mm. who potentially will win. But the fact is that regardless of who is going to be the next president, Mm -hmm. the issue is the divisiveness is already set in place and the disruption with especially between the US-China tensions has already been placed and that itself has caused a lot of problems around the world especially for the chip makers uh, in in the tech industry itself Um, what I would say is that uh, even if Joe Biden wins the election the nothing is going to change too much because it's going to be very difficult for him to convince the American public that uh, China is actually a friend not a foe Interesting. As you say, the division's already in. And let's take a closer look and pick up on your point on the chip market. Uh, It's been said that the easy money policy uh, emerging from the US and and parts of Europe is boosting China's bond market. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, But first up, when it comes to SMIC, the US Department of Defense reportedly considering banning exports to China's largest computer chip maker, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corp. So the latest escalation, of course, in this ongoing trade war, SMIC shares currently down by 0.5% to $17.78. That's in Hong Kong dollars. What do you think the fallout of US sanctions on chip makers are presently, and should investors be concerned? Well, the, the investors generally should be concerned with the fact that um, the revenue stream definitely will be affected. Right now, the U.S. firms must apply for the license to export certain products to China, you know, to SMIC, right? according to the Commerce Department uh, data on the 25th of September. But the, the fact is that SMIC is, has not been put on the U.S. entity list, and that itself is still you know, a... a um, you know, a back story that everybody will be watching very closely because you do not want end up a situation where they're going to be the same position as Huawei. Mm. Right now, the, the, the SMIC customers are primarily U.S. chip makers like Qualcomm, Broadcom, and the suppliers are applied materials. Right? The fact is that um, whatever is going to hit on SMIC is going to hit the U.S. companies, which I don't think the U.S. Um, government realized that as well. But even then, 
if you want to put U, uh, if US going to put SMIC on its blacklist, mm. then the impact will be much greater on, than the Huawei uh, case because SMIC has not stocked up as much as what Huawei did for two years. So on the competitive landscape itself, if you look at the TSMC and UMC, right? They will not be a direct beneficiary of this restriction on SMIC simply because China does not allow sales from Taiwan's companies into China. So, therefore, it forces SMIC to look for alternatives in Europe for, for possible supply. The problem is, right now, NVIDIA is, uh, has a buyout of ARM, right? You're waiting for yep. regulatory approval. Mm. And the fact is that if that goes through, then we'll put SMIC back into square one. The other alternative that leaves Infineon Technologies. But then again, Infineon will not be able to meet the Chinese demand. So, on overall perspective, the current U.S. actions will force the Chinese to develop their own capability over the long run. As it is right now, we're actually invested in um, SenseTime, which is one of the largest AI companies in China. And uh, they, what they have done is that um, they have now embarked on a journey to build their own AI chips. They're not going to rely on U.S. What is the name of that company again? SenseTime. SenseTime. Yeah, so they are one of the largest, uh, the brother, they are the largest AI company, um, AI company in China. Mm-hmm. They, in fact, they have actually um, engaged on, um, I would say, project works with the Singapore government, with Malaysian government, with Japan as well, and they're marketing over to the Middle East. Um, they are, you know, they fo- their business is very diversified. They focus on smart cities development, on the, the medical technology, even on. Um, facial recognition. So a lot of applications are being done through them. And they are now mitigating those kind of, um, I would say, the problems that the competitors or the other Chinese companies are facing, where they build data centers in Singapore, in Japan. Right? So, and there's one in Hong Kong. So the one in Hong Kong primarily focuses on information that will go back to China, but the other two centers will be for international markets. So they, that itself will give investors or any potential problem they may face. You know, it will allay the fears from the angle. Really interesting. So you don't see the U.S. government's moves crippling China's plans to boost its semiconductor industry? No, I don't think it will over the long term. In short term, yes, it will definitely affect them because then you will not, you know, they do not want any supply to go in there. So I would say that the U.S. strategy right now is to ring fence the Chinese because mm. what they want to do is make sure that the overall supply from U.S. companies overall will not go into any of the Chinese entities and then eventually U.S. may force the China to uh, give in to certain demands from the U.S. side. But on the Chinese side, to them is that, look, if this is going to be the way things right on the long run, it's not going to help me on the overall, you know, on a business perspective. I definitely have to build in my own um, capabilities. So from that angle, right now, SMIC is not at the forefront of the chip making because I think in terms of the chip sizes they are making, like about 14 inch or even the eight, 10 to 12 inches, the technology right now is they are producing a 7 inch type of chip. So, which means that there's still some time for SMAC to reach that stage. But mm. in order to get that stage right now, the Chinese definitely will ramp up in terms of their development, the R&D development, and making sure that they will be absolutely independent from the U.S. All right. Meantime, yesterday, uh, big news. Xia, the Japanese shipmaker, shelving its 3.2 billion US dollar IPO. Do you see this as more unexpected fallout of US-China tensions? What do you make of this news? Well, the thing is that um, the in the most of these chip sales, and uh, or rather all of these chip sales to Huawei, have been subjected to the title restrictions imposed by US. 
And that's primarily the reason why it has uh, caused a change of the decision to go ahead with the IPO. I mean, for a, a private equity investor like Bain, mm. who bought the company at two, you know, at a very high valuation, and then to go an IPO that's below its original price, it doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, for any equity investor, when you get into a invest in a public company, you will you'll be expecting at least three to five times return when it comes to the IPO level. But this is not the case. And with the restriction imposed, obviously to them it doesn't make any sense to proceed because they definitely will be losing a lot, a lot of money, and they're giving away all their profits to other investors. So, which means that this problem between the U.S. and China will not go away over the next quarter, even if, let's say, any negotiations with the new potential administrations will take at least two quarters to take place, right? And it therefore puts the company in a conundrum because then, look, at this point in time, if they're going to go ahead and list at the lower valuation, it simply put out a signal to the market itself that it's a signal to a weak outlook for the company, which it doesn't want to. So therefore, at this point in time, the companies just have to say, look, we just have to sit out and wait as what's going to happen. Hopefully, after the elections, they could see something better so that they can at least hope to achieve you know, a better valuation. All right. From semiconductors to emerging markets, in a note recently, Goldman strategist suggests that it may be too early to engage with high-yield emerging market bets with risk still prevalent and the dollar on the move. Um, are you on edge about emerging markets, Jacob? Not at all. Not at this point in time. In fact, um, the only thing is that because most of the emerging markets themselves, mm. even though they have proven themselves to be in a better position to handle the COVID-19 situation, mm-hmm. but the overall economy has really not um, driven up that much. Um, if you look at, say, the... Um, the the overall manufacturing base from some of these companies themselves or some of these economies themselves, this only starting to emerge from the bottom. And uh, there are signs that it may be slightly strengthening, uh, but overall demand is still being driven by the U.S. and uh, by, by Chinese itself. So therefore, I would say that um, over the longer term, at this point in time where you're seeing the U.S. dollar having a uh, short recovery, but um, I would say after the, in the fourth quarter of the year, starting next quarter, uh, first quarter of next year, um, you will see the emerging market currencies to improve, and we see that the uh, overall economy in the emerging markets will start to improve. Um, primarily, right now, you can see the interest rate differential between the emerging markets and even the uh, U.S. itself has been widening, mm. and that. Well, uh, that primarily will be the main focus because the Federal Reserve already come out to say that the, the, the Fed funds rate uh, essentially will stay zero until 2023, right? And it's probably pulling the U.S. LIBOR um, steadily lower. So if you look at the overall current account surplus as well and current account balances, um, you'll see great improvement significantly in China, India, Korea, and Taiwan. All right. So that itself will probably signal the fact that uh, this such emerging markets will continue to uh, improve and uh, will recover faster. So Goldman is asking investors to put their money into high-yielding currencies like the Mexican peso, the South African rand, the Russian ruble, but only once the dust settles. So the expectations uh, for swings in these currencies, what do you think? Well, for the Russian case itself, I would say that, again, it's going to be pretty tricky because essentially there are sanctions still in place against Russia, 
if you look at most of the Russian names, especially or any entity that's related to Russian government, mm. they're still under sanctions. Therefore, I'm not going to be you know taking the kind of risk mm. on the Russian ruble right to begin with. Because then, you know, if I want to change the currency, what assets can I buy? Because I'm, I can't buy sanctioned bonds. I can't buy sanctioned securities. I'm stuck. So I won't change the currency. Mm-hmm. As for the maximum pesos, given the fact that they have already signed uh, the latest agreement right, um, earlier part of this year with America, I think that things, you know, things will improve. For the South African rent, they still has its own uh, problems fundamentally. I have not seen anything has changed so much in the improvement there. That's why um, on a short-term basis, yes, I would take a, maybe, maybe take one as a short-term pun, but uh, you can't hold it for the long term as in like, you know, short-term as in like within one month, but mm. the longer term will be within three months because currency, anything beyond three months generally is very difficult to forecast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So not engaging in fresh longs then. All right, speaking of um, longs, are, are Chinese government bonds attractive in a zero-yield world? J.P. Morgan thinks so. What do you think, Jacob? Well, well I guess that uh, you know, the reason for that assertion right, is that you know, the rest of the world, in particularly the Western world, are you know, mainly in a negative interest rate environment. Right? If you look at, say, uh, New Zealand, you look at Japan, Australia, um, and even Europe, right? parts of Northern Europe, rather, Primarily, they are all in negative interest rates, and even Australia now is thinking, even thinking about going to the you know, negative interest rates, and UK as well. They are looking at negative zero point three percent. Now that itself, you know, will drive investors to look for you elsewhere. And uh, what ha- happened is that the Chinese government um, has allowed uh, foreign investors to start buying the Chinese uh, government bonds, but primarily denominated in Chinese yuan. But they also allow uh, currency hedge. So that, if let's just say one were to expect the CNY to to appreciate over time, then yes, if you would look at the Chinese government bonds in the zero yield world itself, or rather negative yield world, um, definitely a Chinese government bond will give you a better yield return, right? And given the sovereign rating of a Chinese uh, government itself, a single A, you'll get pretty you know pretty good um, yield pickup from uh, investing in that on a relative basis. So it bodes well for investors when compared to you know the Western countries, and uh, the fact is that the Chinese government also will want to maintain its current account surplus in order to make sure they provide some form of currency stability at this point in time. But the, the only risk that you may have is that if the world because the world generally uses U.S. dollar as the main reference point, right? And a U.S. dollar strength will be the biggest risk to holding uh, you know Chinese yuan denominated bond. So, which means that investor will need to concern, rather be aware that if the dollar does indeed strengthen and the speed of which it strengthens, that will be the biggest risk to them. So, you need to manage that. Are you seeing long-term investors outside of China expressing strong interest in Chinese bonds? I would say yes, because you see, the the fact is that recently on SGX, you see CSOM, they actually had um, launched a bond ETF that's linked to the Chinese government bonds, mm-hmm. right? So, this is on SGX. And they are not the only ones. There are two more parties. I mean, the names of which I can't reveal at this point because we have, they have asked me to promise not to reveal their names. They, are, they will be launching similar bond ETFs that's linked to the Chinese government bonds. So increasingly, the interest is there. And based on my interactions with the investment banks across the industry generally, every one of them are pretty bullish on the uh, on this fact. They are looking at Chinese assets overall, simply because first, not only because they are the second largest economy around the world, mm. but also they are recovering faster and the right. economy is up and running.
Yeah, first in, first out. All right, Jacob, terrific insights so far, but we can't let you go without a sense of your outlook for Singapore <laughs> stocks this month and your sectors of interest. Okay. Um, well, we are keen on the bond ETF. Like I mentioned earlier, the bond ETF uh, by CSOP and Zisnow SGX because primarily we think that uh, the Chinese uh, government bonds uh, will have a, a pretty good yield pickup and we are pretty keen or very positive on the Chinese yuan strengthening over the, the next two quarters. So that will offer pretty good uh, yield from the, both the bond side and also the currency side. The second one that we're looking at is actually the retail rates. Now, for that, we are cautiously optimistic on the retail rates at this point in time in the short term because primarily if you look at exactly what's happening in all the malls and even in the shopping centers in the Orchard Road itself, they're getting crowded True. and there are more people going to, uh, to, to them. Mm-hmm. So uh, on that front itself, we still remain, I, mean, I will still feel that they are remaining attractive and even with the industry rates as well. So on the back of that, I will be positive on the Maple Tree Commercial Trust and Sender Reed. Terrific talking to you as always. He's Jacob Du, Chief Investment Officer at Envision Wealth Management. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.